Freedom Hut. Riots in Portland rage on. Major cities embrace enhanced lockdowns. Oprah lectures us on white privilege. And Biden says more dumb things. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. As always, an honor. Thank you for being here. I just want to jump right into it. You know, we were told in the last few weeks, I feel like I should just start doing a segment. We were told lies by libs, dot, dot, dot. But this is another good example of it. Uh, We were told by people like Nancy Pelosi, who was out there saying to the stormtroopers, the federal government agents, law enforcement officers, who were uh, trying to assist in the protection of a federal courthouse in Portland, that they're bad people doing bad things. They are uh, the reason for the riots. That was the part of this that you really have to remember. They, they were the cause of the rioting. And there was this effort also to pretend there weren't riots, and then that failed because of some intrepid actual journalists and people who show Footage Now, not not the mainstream journals, really. It, it was other citizen journalists, people like our friend Andy No, who just show what really happens here. And then it's really difficult to make the case that these are mostly peaceful protests when everybody sees that they're throwing rocks and using weapons against federal law enforcement. They're dressed up for battle. They're not dressed up for a peaceful protest. We've seen all that. But remember that the Democrat position on all of this was that it was the presence of the federal law enforcement officers that was causing the problem. It was their uh, their deployment that was the reason for all the bad stuff that we then had to at least uh, we had to at least all agree was happening because there was so much video of it. Well, you've got two nights now in a row where the police department in Portland Remember, it was handed over to them, and the mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, Antifa's Aaron Boy, and the governor in Oregon. I mean, these leaders were saying the problem was the federal law enforcement officers. Just get rid of them, and the rioting stops. They're the re- Now, no one really believed this, but it just shows you how dishonest the libs are about all this stuff. We were quite aware that it was going to i'm pretty sure i actually said here on the show hey uh there are going to be more riots this is not going to stop but now we can all look back to when nancy pelosi and the democrats were making that absurd claim about federal law enforcement and now we see with our own eyes exactly what is going on here continued riots more nonsense more madness and the police chief in portland is now saying that the cause of the the cause of racial justice is not being helped by these riots. Remember that these Antifa members, they're really they're really using Antifa tactics, but they think they're part of Black Lives Matter. And this anti-cop sentiment that Democrats embrace because they need to for their political party, they need to for their aspirations for power. That has had an effect on cities all across the country. This has made urban areas worse 
And Democrats own that. That's on them. They're going to try to avoid it as much as possible. But they uh, they have been reckless. And we are now suffering the consequences of this as a country. What's going on in Portland is a continued disgrace. Uh, these Antifa lunatics should be locked up. Uh, they should spend some serious time in prison. Rioting is a crime. Destruction of property is a crime. And the laws either count or they don't. They don't get to have it both ways. I know the libs love to pretend that they can have it both ways, or they, they try to have it both ways, but they, they're unable to as long as we're, we are in a position to hold them to account on this. And that's why I keep saying you, you want accountability, you want justice, you got to win. That's what it really means now in politics. That's the truth. You want accountability, you've got to have people who are not completely insane in power. That's where we are. So we also, while I'm talking about safety in cities, on the one hand, you have riots in in Portland. They can't get that under control. On the other hand, you have Los Angeles, Chicago, New York that are going into what I've been saying all along they would, which is the the lockdown 2.0 phase just in time for the election, just in time to make sure the economy remains suppressed and to uh, create a, a widespread perception of an America that is failing, that's going in the wrong direction, that is needs change, that, that needs to be in different hands when it comes to leadership. Los Angeles and New York are almost at a competition right now for who can engage in the most uh, breathtaking government over, uh, overreach. You see, the problem, my friends, and this is true across most of America, is that we've let politicians seize unthinkably broad powers of unbounded duration and are going to continue suffering the consequences until we decide our rights outweigh their mandates. It's not going to stop. They love this power. They, they take to this. They have no problem with this. In fact, they want more of it. They want more of it. If you allow... Democrat leftists, they will dictate every aspect of your life, no matter how counterproductive, painful, absurd. And they think that that's their role. They have no problem with it. They'll continue to do this. Now we have Los Angeles. We have Los Angeles uh, Mayor Garcetti telling everybody uh, that they're willing. Well, I'll let him say it. Play uh, play clip four. While we have already closed all nightclubs and bars, these large house parties have essentially become nightclubs in the hills. Many times the homes are vacant or used for short-term rentals. And beyond the noise, the traffic, and nuisance, these large parties are unsafe and can cost Angelinos their lives. That is why tonight I am authorizing the city to shut off Los Angeles Department of Water and Power Service in the egregious cases in which houses businesses and other venues are hosting unpermitted large gatherings. Starting on Friday night, if the LAPD responds and verifies that a large gathering is occurring at a property, and we see these properties reoffending time and time again, they will provide notice and initiate the process to request that DWP shut off service within the next 48 hours. Weaponizing city services and regulations for what they say is is public health. But let's remember, they could have prevented mass gatherings in the streets with the LAPD. 
oh, but that was about BLM. That was too important, you see. But now people want to throw house parties. Look, I don't think it's a good idea to throw a house party right now if the numbers are pretty high in your community. I'm not saying that. But I also don't think the government has the authority to just tell you you can't see your fellow human beings. The government is telling people who are overwhelmingly healthy and don't have any disease whatsoever, right? by the numbers, 99 out of 100 people that are at this party probably don't have any COVID and maybe 100 out of 100. You don't know. The government is saying you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to gather together. Freedom of assembly, my friends. We have rights. We actually have things that are ours, that the government is by charter, by constitution, by contract, not supposed to be able to just take away. And what do we see in particularly these Democrat-controlled major cities? They take it away on a whim. They take it away, and, and there's not even a complaint from most of the population. How far are we from some of these other countries? Never mind just democratic socialism in Europe. How far are we from what they're doing in China these days? We have control over what we can say on the Internet from the monopolistic major tech companies. We're not allowed to gather. We have to wear a face diaper all the time because that's going to save us all. We got all these rules and regulations. There's no there's no laws that are being passed for any of this. People in power who have you know, police authority, instead of just enforcing the laws as they are, are making up laws as they go along. That's what these governors are doing. They're expanding quarantine powers to the breaking point. They've been catastrophically ineffective. You know, on, on the one hand, you'll notice uh, th- there's this, this call for, oh, COVID, our response has been so terrible in America. It's on, it's on all of us to listen to these governors. And they never stop and think, hold on a second. These governors have been in charge all along. They're morons. We had this terrible response. They've had a terrible response. Why aren't they accountable? No, but the Democrat narrative, because Trump is the president and because they're all so delusional with their anti-Trumpism, is that things are terrible in this country because Republicans haven't worn enough masks. That's, that's what they tell themselves. If only that were different, then we would all be fine. We wouldn't be going through this. You know, there are surges in different countries right now, too. You don't hear much about that. Our media just wants to focus on panic, panic here in America, panic. You got a surge going on in Germany, even a surge in Australia. I mean, this, this virus is everywhere. It's everywhere. And what governors and mayors have shown is they can't protect us. They can't protect us. But what do they do? They keep doubling down. They, they decide that now that we live through this nightmare to this point and have seen more of the numbers and have a better sense of who's at risk and what's going on, they're taking the anti-science position that the risk is too high for kids to be in school this fall. We all know that's crap. And they're also getting even more strict and severe with the lockdowns. Uh, you know, in, in New York, we have quarantine checkpoints that are set up now. They're threatening to uh, to find people ten thousand dollars here. Here's the mayor, the worst mayor in the country, even worse than Garcetti, believe it or not. Mayor Bill de Blasio. Here he is explaining that he has special powers that no one even knew about. Play clip 14. 
So starting today, we're going to do something new in New York City. We will have checkpoints at key entry points to the city. Travelers coming in from those states will be given information about the quarantine. They will be reminded that it is required, not optional. They'll be reminded that failure to quarantine is a violation of state law, and it comes with serious penalties. In fact, under certain circumstances, the fines can be as high as $10,000. Where is the federal government? This is interfering in interstate commerce, okay? Enough is enough. This is insane. They can't enforce this quarantine. This quarantine is not based in any data. It's just, oh my gosh, we're terrified. Everybody has to lock themselves in their homes for two weeks. From the very beginning of this fight against COVID-19, lockdown was supposed to be the last ditch. When you have nothing else you can do, you don't know what you're facing, you don't think you have enough hospital beds and PPE, It was a last resort. The last resort in the fight against this has over time become the first resort, the first option that's being deployed. Oh, there's a surge of numbers. Lock down, everybody. What benefit have we seen from this? Where has this worked in America? I'll sit here and wait. Anyone who says New York and New Jersey is a moron because New York and New Jersey have gotten hit by this worse, more dead people more misery and sadness as a result of this virus than anywhere else in the world per capita. But the narrative is too important for the libs. They want to pretend, oh, no, we figured it out now. Just do what we're telling you to do this time around, because look at what a good job Cuomo has done. Look at how well Newsom has handled this. You, you look at these different states, you say they've done a horrible job. And, and now they're using that as justification to do the same thing over again. I I mean, Cuomo is like a kid who shows up, who got an F on the exam and then wants to stand up and lecture the rest of the class about the subject matter. The worst grade, the worst results of anybody. And he is he's talking about this like he knows what the heck he's talking about. Quarantine checkpoints, folks. Where are the protests about that? We have massive protests across the country over one individual being killed by a cop in what certainly still seems to be excessive force, but there was a lead-up to it. There was an individual who was non-compliant and who was high and who died of a heart attack, not asphyxiation. So that leads to nationwide protests, but we have cities telling us they're going to shut off power and water to a house if too many people gather there. Uh, under what authorities is the authority just we're scared and we watch a lot of cnn and we're the governor so we're going to tell you that this is what you have to do and i'm going to keep saying it where is the federal government on this where is the doj why aren't they stepping in this needs to stop they're interfering in interstate commerce they're they're stopping cars and saying that we're going to fine you unless you lock yourself in a room for two weeks that's insane they can't think this through my friends how are they going to enforce this Now, they're going to tell you, and de Blasio already has, oh, well, we're really just trying to make a point. Mm, That's what they said about masking originally, right? Now there are mandates. Now they fine people. Now they lock you up if you open your business after a couple of warnings. Now they'll actually arrest you. What is suggested becomes mandatory. What becomes mandatory is punishable with fines and arrest. We have seen this progression keep happening. They don't have an answer about how to contain this thing. They don't. 
unless you really want to lock down forever. We're, we're, we keep coming back to the same discussion. Just keep locking it down. Lock it down. Hope a vaccine comes. And hope that vaccine is distributed quickly enough and is effective enough that it eradicates this disease, which I don't think anybody really believes that's going to happen. Lockdown or else. We'll shut off power. We'll shut off water. We'll fine you $10,000. And they're doing this to people who are almost all zero risk to anyone. They may have antibodies. They may have T-cell immunity. They might just not be sick at all. I mean, they have no idea. This is the biggest power grab I have seen in my adult life. And everyone's just going along, hoping that it'll go away. It's not going to go away. We confront this. We confront our lockdown overlords. Or else it's just going to get worse. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. There is a degree of anti-science feeling in this country. And I think it is not just related to science. It's almost related to authority and a mistrust in authority that spills over because in some respects, scientists, because they're trying to present data, may be looked at, looked upon as being authoritative figure. And the pushing back on authority is pushing back on government is the same as pushing back on science. Unfortunately, that's not what scientists are. And I think we need to be more transparent and reaching out to people and engaging society and understanding why science and evidence-based policy is so important. Ah, it's that last point that you really got to focus in on. Evidence-based policy. Where's the evidence that any of the most draconian policies in this country that different states have have enacted? Where's the evidence that it works? Fauci has said things like New York has really shown you how to get it done. Yeah, in New York, if you're willing to have, you know, close to 30,000 people die from this virus in one city, then sure, sure, that's a way to go. And there's a lot of people that were hospitalized and are very close to death in New York who just barely made it out of the hospital and are okay now. But evidence-based policy, where, where is the evidence for these policies? What he doesn't understand, I mean, there's an arrogance here that we have to unpack. We have to deal with what they're saying that is clearly untrue. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Anti-science feeling. That's what Dr. Fauci calls it. You know, there's an ant- there's a feeling of, you know, a mistrust of authority and the mistrust of the authority elite. Yes, that's right. Anybody with even a passing knowledge of U.S. history understands that we have a whole heck of a lot of mistrust of authority. And with good reason. Our country, the, the, the limitations on government enshrined in the Constitution, the reason we have a Bill of Rights, the reason we have delineated powers is because we do not want authority to be concentrated. We want a separation of powers. We want checks and balances. There are reasons for that rooted deeply in our experience, not just as Americans, but as human beings. And we're seeing a forgetting of that right now. Oh, yeah, let's just let these people make all these decisions. Let's let's leave them to be in charge of this. 
Fauci talks about science and and data driven policy. What what is the data driven policy? There are plenty of of research uh, of published peer reviewed research papers from epidemiologists that in the past looked at lockdowns as a way to deal with a pandemic. And they really all came to the same conclusion. It's disastrously costly in every sense, economically, in human toll. And it's not even that clear how well it would work. There are other countries that have never locked down. There are countries that have that had terrible results. I mean, where's the data being all the only data that we know, but there are there's a lot. This disease spreads very quickly and is very lethal to older people with with certain comorbid conditions. That data is all true. That's there. What's the other data we're, we're using to determine this? Where was all this data driven policy when you had hundreds of thousands of people marching together in the streets, screaming, shouting in close quarters? Oh, and a lot of young people got this disease. We're told it was just the bars. You see, it was just the bars. Okay, that's very convenient, isn't it? You got de Blasio setting up checkpoints in New York City for out-of-state drivers. I don't even I don't even really understand how they think this is supposed to work. Oh, you better quarantine for two weeks. What does that mean? You're going to stay in your hotel room or stay if you're with a you know in a private home. You're not going to go outside for two weeks. No one's going to do that to Blasio unless they have symptoms, maybe unless they actually get sick. But they're telling healthy people stay for two weeks. That's a long time. Two weeks on your own. It's just crazy, folks. Uh, And what do they say about the John Lewis attend uh, funeral attendees? What do they say? Oh, well, that was really important. So you don't have to quarantine. Oh, okay. So if you're at the John Lewis funeral in in Georgia, apparently the virus doesn't come after you the same way. Wokeness is its own vaccine against the virus, right? Sure. Uh, you've noticed, you know, Fauci he lost so much credibility from whatever credibility he had with so many people when he was asked specifically in testimony recently about the crowds. He said. Mass, you know, gatherings could spread the virus. Okay, so that means the protests could spread the virus, right? Gatherings of all kinds. You know, this is like, will you condemn Antifa when you ask Democrats this? Well, we'll condemn all political violence. Okay, but will you condemn Antifa? We condemn all political violence. And if this happens with Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter, they completely accept, they they completely reject that. They think that's a horrible thing to say. But they do this game all the time. This is how they uh, this is how they operate. I'm I'm wondering what it's going to take. My friends, they're doing everything they can to just steal this election, seize power from Trump and run this country into the ground. And you know what's going to happen. It'll be just like when Obama took over after the Great Recession and everyone was acting like Obama saved Obama's economic policies were horrible disastrous just hurt productivity uh every every decision that was pushed by him by his administration was bad for the economy was bad for wealth for all people bad for wages the things that he was really behind but all they had to say was well look what happened when we took over look at how bad things were they kept pointing to the worst month of a cyclical recession and saying look at how much better we are than that see 
even though it was the slowest recovery out of a recession since World War II. But that was all they needed. Just compare it to the worst uh, at the very beginning, and they'll say it's better. They'll do the same thing with Biden for the first two years when we're, when we're grinding through and all this, this economic fallout and all the stupidity and the Green New Deal and all the things that they'll do that make the country poorer, less free, and more miserable. And then they'll turn us against each other and more of this wokeness and this rhetoric about race that's just really all virtue signaling for white libs these days. That's what's going on here. White liberals love to just preen about this BLM stuff. They're pathetic. They're cowardly. It's so easy. Oh, I care so much. You know, BLM, they're marching through the streets and they've got like a T-shirt with BLM. And yeah, and celebrities like this. How many of them volunteer in minority communities to do after school, after school tutoring for underprivileged kids? How many of them have even I mean, I really want to know this. I, I'd be so fascinated to see people at these protests. When was the last time they actually had a person from a community of color over to their house for dinner? I'm telling you this right now, and I think you all know. A lot of these white libs who are out there screaming about Black Lives Matter, and they, uh, it's about them. They don't care about the minority community at all. They don't spend time in the minority community. They don't socialize with a lot of minorities, if any. But, oh, they're having this opportunity. Oh, it's so, so important. It makes me feel so good. And I'm, you know, all of a sudden, I'm part of a movement. Frauds. Frauds. Immature, cowardly frauds. And unfortunately, they're, they're the, the, the middle tier now and the, uh, you know, the, the new hires at all the major media companies across the country. You know, the, the assistant and associate producers. And if you look in the newsrooms, 25-year-olds right now are terrifying the 55-year-olds that are in the C-suite because the 25-year-olds are woke robots. They, they, don't, they don't look at reason. They don't look at new data. They, they are like terminators for social justice. They are on a mission. Nothing else is acceptable. And they will even destroy their own. That's one of the new that's one of the new layers to all this. They're willing to sacrifice their own people. It's like Longshanks and Braveheart when he starts firing off arrows while his own soldiers are are in the melee in the middle of the field. He's like, whatever, we got more soldiers. Just kill all kill all of them. Right. That's the attitude of the woke left now. Yeah. We have reserves. The dead cost nothing. That's their attitude. You know, there's plenty more libs out there. If we got to sacrifice some, we're willing to do it. Bring me back to Fauci for a moment here and, and the anti, anti-science anti feeling in this country. Fauci's policies have been a, a, a disaster. It has not. We are not better off because of this. All right. There, you cannot show me one place where, you know, we listened. They're, they're all pretending now. Oh, the reopening happened too fast. Oh, there was too fast of a reopening. OK, what was the alternative? Lockdown straight up. No businesses open. Nothing. Only grocery stores, drug stores, and, you know, hospitals unable to see anybody. We're going to keep doing that from March? Everyone's just being a, being a total phony about this. What was the alternative? We opened up in May. We had been on lockdown for months. They said 15 days to slow the spread. We basically waited 90. And then they say it was too soon. And now they're saying, well, maybe we got to do that again. This is the best they've got. 
The answer is they don't have answers. The answer is that the policy science nexus has been disastrous. Oh, if we had only wore masks, right. You mean like what they told us not to do for the first 60 days of the pandemic. Make sure it you know, spread all over the country and then be like, oh, wear masks, guys. That'll stop this thing cold in its tracks. Does anyone really believe that? I mean, maybe it would be true if you wore a mask all the time and it was airtight and it was fitted and, you know, I mean, and here we are. Here we are. It's our fault, you see. What, what else are they going to say? What else? Are, what's the admission going to be from the people that have created so much misery? What I, I'm telling you this, you know, there's some things I predict that I say, I think, but I don't know. I have a very high confidence. Um, I would almost say I am not uncertain that when they're able to look back at the uh, additional mortality this year for what would be expected in the U.S. population compared to last year, and they see the number of drug overdoses, suicides, and, and also the late-stage cancer spurt, where you're going to see so much more late-stage cancer, and that's just the one that everyone can think of. There's a lot of other diseases and a lot of other medical conditions. You know, they've you know, made a lot of America a lot slower, fatter, and less healthy. Let's just be honest. And a massive scale. Um, I know some of you have your solo flex, your bow flex, your, you know, whatever it is, your ab roller in the closet, or maybe you've been able to keep up with it. But for a lot of the rest of us, you know, we're just not able. And plus, there's all the, just the stress and your body's cortisol levels, all these things. There are enormous costs that have been imposed on all of us. Do you think that people are ever going to listen to public health experts again if we really are able to look at the data and find out that these costs really didn't do anything for us? That this was an elephant with a mouse annoying it that to get away from it falls off a cliff. Do you think they're ever going Do you think they'll ever admit that no matter what the data says? No, of course not. They'll fight this one till the very end. Never going to relent on this going to pretend that they had the answers all along and hope that people just go go along and you know i, I guess also i just have a different view of this i've had so i've had so many different times where i've asked a doctor or or know of a condition and i've asked the doctor you know how do we make this better or you know i'm in pain or i've got this or that or whatever it may be and you know they try you know most doctors are really good people and they're very very educated and but they don't have I, I know they don't have all the answers and I, I wish there was a little bit of a greater humility from the health policy community, right? The lab coat wearing dictators that are out there right now. A little more humility that they have been wrong. They should square up with the American people. They should say, yeah, we were wrong on some stuff. No question about it. We didn't see how bad this was going to be. We thought our containment measures would work better. We didn't understand the real implications of masking or not masking. We thought hand washing would be much more effective than it was. But this is what we got, folks. This is the best we've got now. Here's what we can tell you about where we are now. That would go a long way. No, instead what they do, they have found there's a degree of anti-science feeling. You know, they don't listen. They don't do everything I tell them to do. And yeah, it's because you've been wrong, dude, a lot. And people have suffered because of it can't even come in and out of major cities now without going through checkpoints on the orders of the most moronic mayor in the United States because he thinks he's backed up by the health policy community. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, I think that uh, I'm, uh, we're all learning this at the same time now, uh, that he won't be there. But I think it's a, an indication of the seriousness with which he uh, judges the, uh, the situation. This the pandemic is, is dangerous, and the increase in numbers uh, just demands uh, that we keep our distances. I commend him for doing that. It's going to be a great convention. People will see it uh, virtually, and uh, we're very proud of him. I, don't, I think it's... It's a, a, a great thing that he's doing this early enough so the rest of us now are told that we're not coming either, I guess. And uh, w- we can all make our plans from around the country for a great American victory uh, for Joe Biden as he is nominated for president. Well, at least that was coherent Chardonnay socialist Nancy. <laughs> you know, she sounds like she you know, got her 10 hours of sleep last night. Uh Biden's not going to Milwaukee because things are so serious. They act like we didn't see all the Democrat luminaries in Atlanta last week. Right in in Georgia or in Georgia last week, I think it was in Atlanta in Georgia last week uh, for the John Lewis funeral. So that they'll go to. But Biden, it's too serious. Oh, it's too serious for him to go to Milwaukee right now. Can't do it. Can't do it. Now, there's a reason for all this. Biden is just trying to ride this whole situation out. I do think that he's going to show up for one debate and one debate only. Um, But that's only because they're going to try to get him out of it and it's going to look too bad. And it'll be close enough in the polls. The Democrats realize he's got to just he's got to muddle through. He's got to just find a way to pretend like he knows what time of day it is and what year it is and all the rest of it. And if he can do that, they think that he'll win. But we're going in it. We're in a political season. We're deep into it right now. I mean, it's going to be September in the blink of an eye here. And, you know, once you hit that, it's just for those of us who, who are in the in the political commentary media world, it just is a flash and then it's election day. I mean, it just moves very quickly. And there's been really no campaign. There's been very little. So I think it's important that we at least hear, you know, what is President Trump? Off? Biden is offering not Trump hiding in a basement to, and, and America being terrified. What does Trump offer in a second term? Play 15. A few of the things just in ending, we will unleash the full power of the American economy. We created an unprecedented economic miracle once, and now we're doing it again. And already you see the numbers coming back very quickly. We'll shut down illegal immigration and we'll finish the wall. But if you're a farmer, you'll be able to get the same people that you've had for many years. We'll shut it down, but the farmers will be allowed to have those same people come in. We're not going to make, otherwise you'd make it very tough on the farmers, and we've made it very easy on the farmers. We'll be tough on China, demanding accountability and fair trade. We'll bring medical manufacturing and critical supply chains back to America, which I've been fighting for and succeeding in, Uh, but we've never ever done the things that I'm doing. We're going to bring them back to our country. We'll root out anti-American bias in our public schools and colleges. That's just a start. I like I like these things that President Trump, I think they're good for the country, the things that President Trump is offering up. What, from what we know, does Joe Biden offer the country other than uh, the hilariousness of yet more absurd uh, incoherent statements 
Well, I think we should also look at that because this is in the background of all the debates right now about COVID and everything else. Who should lead the country? Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What does Biden stand for, everybody? Well, we all know that he stands for whatever the Democrat establishment, the coalition of activist groups, the media, Hollywood, academia, journos, whatever they tell him to stand for, that's uh, effectively what, what he'll be all about. We, we know that. And we also know that he uh, says incredibly dumb things and we're supposed to pretend that we don't notice for whatever reason. We know the reason. Here is Joe Biden speaking about, remember, he did very well. It was really the difference maker for him in the primary. He did very well with the African-American community in the primary. And here's what he said today. We'll just let him say it himself uh, when he's talking about the African-American community. Play 12. Yes. And by the way, what you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. Okay, let's let's unpack this, because you heard what you heard. And I know the media's going, oh, no, no. Unlike the African-American community, Biden says, the no, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is incredibly diverse with, with different opinions. Now, he's straight up telling you, Biden is saying that he views the black community as a, as a monolith, as, as all similar and all having similar ideas. You know, you would think this is kind of racist, right? But no, oh, no, it's okay, because, you know, he's Biden, and he's the guy the Democrats will prop up no matter what he says. I mean, they've made their bed. They're going to sleep in it. There, there is no, all this stuff about they're, gonna, they're not going to bail on Biden, because even if they put a VP in place, and I, I think it's going to be Kamala, which, again, when we turn back, if they don't end up winning this election and say that was the Biden and Kamala Harris were the best the Democrats would do. We've got a country of 330 million people. And those are the two best people they could they could pull together on a ticket. Not Democrats don't really like either one of them. That's what's so fascinating. Biden is just the default candidate. He's the I guess we don't have we don't have an Obama this time around. So we got to go with somebody that our base isn't excited about. But at least we all know his name, Joe Biden. That's it. And Kamala Harris ran for president and never did very well. Most of the polls you would see, she was not even really in the top top five, I think. I mean, she was a, a distant finisher in the Democrat primary. But Biden will get away with this. Right. He'll say things like and I, that. He said something there that wasn't his usual. Man, here I am yelling and being real loud. I don't really know what's going on, but uh, I'm getting kind of dizzy from all the talk, you know. Uh, he he doesn't just say things like that. I think here that's he views the black community as as one as having one political identity, as having you know. He said as not being diverse. You know, they're 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 black, is what Biden thinks. That's what he's saying, and so black people have certain attitudes and certain. Uh, can you imagine if a Republican said this? Can you imagine the resp- I mean, it's but, you know, I I know the double standards that we see all the time are just there. It's on un- un- 
I, I run out of superlatives here. It isn't unfathomable because we fathom it constantly. We have to deal with this. Oh, what else does Biden stand for as we're getting closer into this? And I, I think this is important, too, because it can get easy to fall into this feeling of relative despair. Like, uh, just I just want it to end. I just want the craziness in this country to stop. How do we get it to stop? And that's a feeling that I believe the Democrats are hoping to capitalize on when it comes to swing voters and independents, people who are going to be the difference maker. You know, unfortunately, you and I, most likely, although you got to show up and vote, folks, I'm going to do it here in New York, even though my vote is meaningless. Uh, I got to move. Producer Mark is looking at me right now without being able to see me. I know he's like, yeah, buddy, Florida, Florida. And he's right, because at least there the vote would feel like it has some meaning. Because uh, I think in New York, you're outvoted in the presidential election. I think it's usually it's definitely two to one. I think it's closer to three to one in uh, in New York. So in New York state. Um, so we're definitely yeah, it's all because of New York City's eight to one Democrat to Republican. But we've got to make sure that we don't allow the rest of the country to feel like anything is better than what we have, because that's really the pitch. The elevator pitch of the Biden campaign is look at how and, and they're making you more miserable, right? They want you to be more miserable. Then they're saying, look at how miserable you are. Don't you want something else? This misery could all stop. You know, this misery could all stop. They're really holding the psychology of the American people hostage in all of this. That's the plan. That's the way that they're preparing this. And Biden does have policies, though, that he's speaking about that I think you should hear about now. I mean, here, here's one. Um, because the Democrat Party is now there's no leeway on certain issues, right? There's no leeway on being pro-abortion. There's no leeway on being um, in favor of amnesty. There, there's nothing else. All right. And here he is on the issue of immigration specifically um, talking about what what illegal aliens should get in this country. Play 13. Uh, should undocumented immigrants also be able to get subsidized health care? If they are working in the United States of America and they are paying taxes, they should have access to health care. They should ha ha have access to what everybody else has access to. This Most is important every undocumented thing to do, worker? No, it depends. Not all undocumented workers are working. You say you say on every undocumented worker. You say, you say, you're undocumented. Yeah, right. All right, I'm really deep on the policy here. Sure he is. Let's, um, let's take a step back for a second, shall we? Uh, why is there the distinction in Biden's formulation here between undocumented, and let's use the term undocumented, illegal aliens who are working in this country and illegal aliens who are not? Because the argument for illegal aliens who work to get health care is a humanitarian one, right? It's not, it's not an economic one. Not really. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, people who, this is also like when we talk about paying taxes, if, if they're actually, uh, they're, first of all, about half of illegal aliens, and this is where you got to go, about half of illegal aliens don't, they're paid in cash, they don't have, they don't have pay income taxes, that's not true. Uh, and if they were to pay income taxes, a lot of them would get a refund from the federal government because they don't make enough money to actually pay into the uh, federal system. Um, but beyond that, yeah, they, they pay sales tax. I mean, everyone who's here is paying. You know, when I go to Europe on vacation, which I haven't done in a very long time, you know, you're paying their VAT taxes you're, whenever you buy or pay for something. So 
Does that mean that wherever any whenever anyone shows up because they've paid taxes, they're supposed to be able to access the same benefits as people who are here legally and who are paying all kinds of taxes and who are under an obligation to that state that others are not? And the state is under an obligation to them as well. No, Biden wants subsidized health care. He wants the government to be paying a portion of the premiums of illegal aliens under the Obamacare plan which the Democrats under the Obama administration, which Biden was a part of, were just ferociously shouting down as a lie. Constantly claiming that that's a lie. Illegal aliens would not get this. No, they just were just going to, once they slide it through, once the plan is enacted, too late now, they've got the power. Too late now, the law's already moved on this one. Sorry. Yeah, we lied. What are you going to do about it? That is the Democrat attitude with policies like this all the time. Yeah, sure, we lied to you. What are you going to do about it? The answer, of course, is, I don't know, send some money to a think tank in D.C. Uh, Republicans, I'm telling you, we, we, are, we do not have the platforms, we do not have the institutions that we need in this, uh, in this fight, in this fight for the future of the country. All we have are the American people. That's it. We do not, we do not have these extra layers these these auxiliaries of a conservative point of view that democrats can call upon we just don't have it okay so he wants illegal aliens to be able to access subsidized health care what else what else is biden uh particularly excited about play clip uh play clip nine here the way Trump, the way China will respond is when we gather the rest of the world that, in fact, invades in, in, free, in, in, in open trade and making sure that we're in a position that the world uh, that, that we deal with WHO the right way, that that, in fact, that's when things begin to change. That's when China that's when uh, China's behavior is going to change. Joe Biden has been a failure on China for as long as he's been in public office. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. I mean, really, his 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 understanding of the private sector is giving speeches as a former vice president and helping his son get on the boards of foreign countries and hope that he doesn't blow it too soon with drugs and strippers. You know what I mean? That's that's Biden's understanding of economics, really. And yet he thinks he's going to be an architect of policy with China is going to make things better. Uh I don't think anybody who knows anything really believes any of this, but and Trump has been right on China. He doesn't get nearly enough credit for it. Trump has been right on China. Um, but as with so many other things, now we pretend that all the initial the, all the initial outcries about how awful he was. Uh, it's just abs- it's just absurd. It's absurd. Um, it, it's it's. Uh, the constant, the constant drumbeat of lies and propaganda. You're almost overwhelmed by it. There's almost too much of it. You're just trying to, you know, a lot of people just want to go on their day. They're like, I've had enough. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And then just one more thing on the, uh, on the point about the filibuster, which has come up in news stories recently. Uh, Democrats, remember what I told you about how they'll say, we won't do that. And then when they're in a position to do it and they do it, they'll say, yeah, we lied to you. So what? What are you going to do about it now? That's exactly their mentality with the filibuster, um, because Biden will tell the base, yes, we'll get rid of it. 
But then the national media will gaslight and say, no, no, I mean, they're not really going to get rid of it. The base will know. No, no, Biden. Democrats know Biden's telling us it's going to happen. Then the national media will tell the swing voters and will tell the independents, no, no, he's not really going to do that. Here's what he says. Play clip eight. You do not agree with President Obama that getting rid of the filibuster is necessary. He described it as a relic of Jim Crow. What I said was that if, in fact, they are as obstreperous as is expected, we'd have to get rid of the filibuster. But the filibuster has also saved a lot of bad things from happening, too. So you're Mr. Open. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, 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 I'm sorry. I thought I'm on record as saying that. If the Republicans, if there's no way to move other than getting rid of the filibuster, that's what we'll do. This is the same as saying Republicans will do what we want or we'll get rid of the filibuster. That's their version of if they're not willing to move. Do what we say or you're being unreasonable, we'll get rid of the filibuster. This is what I mean by they have no principles. There's no common ground. There's no sense of fair play. They'll always just change. They'll, they'll always just change the. Um, the context to suit their needs in the moment and not allow any actual rule, regulation, policy, principle to get in the way. That's certainly going to be the case with Joe Biden, the Trojan horse for the far left to get into power once again. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know who we need some political analysis from because it's been a while. Uh, we need to hear from from LeBron James, uh, almost a billionaire, one of the most famous, wealthy, celebrated human beings on planet Earth. Uh, we need to hear from him. You know, he talks about uh, oppression and he's very favorable uh, to the Black Lives Matter movement and says that young black men are hunted every time they leave their homes. You know, Le- LeBron James said some pretty reckless stuff, but and doesn't seem to have any gratitude for the country that's elevated him to superstardom status. You know, really likes to tear the country down and take this attitude that it's all been so hard. This is a guy who I think was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was in high school, like 15 or 16. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's just been uh, I don't know. And, And we're supposed to believe it's been some impossible struggle. Okay, fine. Right. Uh, but here's LeBron on on Trump saying that he's not you know, he's not happy with all the kneeling going on. Play seven. Our, our game is in a, in, a, in a beautiful position and we have fans all over the world. And uh, our fans not only uh, love the way we play the game, we try to give it back to them with our commitment to the game, but also respect, you know, what else we try to bring to the game and acknowledging, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And I hope everyone um you know, no matter the race, no matter the color, no matter the size, see uh, what, what what leadership that we have in our at the top in our country, and uh, understand that that November um, is right around the corner, and it's and it's a big moment for us as Americans. Um, if um, we we continue to talk about what we want, you know, better uh, won't change. Uh, we have an opportunity to do this, but the game is um, the game will 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 go on without <laughs> without his eyes on it. Uh, I, I can sit here and speak for all of us that love the game of basketball. Uh, we could care less. Well, the ratings are way down. And I think the ratings are going to continue to go down. But here's one, here's one dynamic that I see playing out. It reminds me a bit of, of when, um, and I'm not even, I could get into really LeBron about leadership and about change. And all this. What do you think about China these days? You want to talk about that? You're a huge, he's a huge 
celebrity in China. LeBron James, NBA stars, huge celebrities in China. He points out there's a global dynamic now with the NBA that did not exist, certainly, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, anywhere near what it does right now. I mean, the NBA is now, and this is why I, I think there is a bit of arrogance from these leagues where they, they think they can, they think they can uh, you know, upset a lot of Americans. It doesn't really matter all that much to the bottom line, or at least they'll be able to continue on making a lot of money because they'll watch them in We'll watch these games in China, in Europe, in South America, and so on and so forth. Right? But I, I see a dynamic playing out here where, where the lack of patriotism in professional sports, it reminds me a bit, and it's not across the board. I know there are athletes who have stood. I know there are a lot of great patriots who play in professional leagues. And, you know, we're, we're speaking, obviously, about those who think they're making some profound point by being disrespectful during the anthem. That's all it is, right? By, by calling attention to themselves during the national anthem, which is supposed to be a moment of unity, brings us together before a sporting event. I, I honestly think that we should just probably, I, I think we should probably just get rid of the anthem before these games. I think that it's, we, we are sullying the anthem by tying it to sp- these, some of these sporting events. I know, we've, you know there's been this huge campaign. The NFL has been a really big part of it with you know the, the military and the flag and this this sports game um okay when they're being respectful about those things fine but they're going to be disrespectful there's really no particular connection between these things um i i i'm getting to the point where i just think that this is a fight that we don't need to continue to have uh but you know other people would say don't concede this ground but as long as you're doing these anthems any player who wants to draw attention to himself will just do this and the woke side of things will come to his defense, and they'll, they'll make the whole Colin Kaepernick case. Uh, but I think you have the, the, international, the internationalization of professional sports in the U.S., the same way you've had that with the media. It reminds me when I was in China watching CNN International, because it was the only thing I could watch in English in my, in my uh, hotel room. And, I mean, CNN International is taking a very anti-American point of view, but that appeals to the rest of the world, right? You can now have sports teams and sports leagues that lose a portion of American audience, but gain, you know, among the more woke, you know, youthful, lunatic lib side of things, but also know they can make it up with, you know, global TV revenue. So it feels to me like some of these sports leagues are just becoming less patriotic. That's happening. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sally Yates. Oh, Sally Yates, you miserable deep state Democrat fraud. You testify yesterday. Lindsey Graham, way too deferential to her. You notice how Democrats do this versus how Republicans do. Republicans still think that they get points for being good little boys who will be respectful of our government servants, even when they've been part of an effort to ruin the uh, ruin the life and career of a decorated 30-year military veteran like General Flynn to bring about a soft coup against the president of the United States. You know, n- now we, we've you see with time what ends up happening, what the new perception becomes. Uh, we went from a media apparatus that was in love with James Comey to now everyone's like, oh, yeah, Comey. No, I mean, ever. I mean, everybody knows Comey's kind of a jerk, right? I mean, you know, Comey's not somebody you, you can't trust James Comey. I mean, come on. No, I remember when they were telling us that James Comey 
was the, the greatest public servant in the history of the country. Uh, I remember when James Comey was being hailed as like the greatest law enforcement guy since Elliot Ness or I don't know, pick somebody. And now they're all like, oh, no, he was a weirdo. And what he was doing was wrong. And it was clearly a personal vendetta. And so there but there, there, there's no uh, there, there's no accounting of this. There's no accountability for who was right and who was wrong. Right. What I've been telling you about James Comey now for four years, 100 percent correct. He's an untrustworthy, self-absorbed, narcissistic, dishonest lunatic. OK, true. But you remember for about two, two and a half years, media was, oh, James Comey is a great. How dare Trump? The FBI, everyone's crying in the hallways because Director Comey is gone. There are all these little Comeyists that were hired over at CNN, you know, Pajama Boy and a bunch of others that had worked with Comey at the FBI. Oh, Comey was the greatest. Comey's horrible. Absolutely horrible. And even Sally Yates willing to throw him under the bus. Here's what she said. Play clip five. Here's what I want to understand. It's a counterintelligence investigation that led to the interview. You didn't authorize the interview. As a matter of fact, you wanted to go to the White House and tell them about the problem, didn't you? That's right. I did. I thought that that was the more immediate issue. And when you, when, when you heard about the interview, you got upset, didn't you? I was upset that Director Comey didn't coordinate that with us and acted unilaterally. Yes, I was. Okay. Did Comey go rogue? Then you could use that term, yes. Finally. (laughs) Did Comey go rogue? You could use that term, yes. Oh, now after, what, four years of Comey got fired and all this other stuff. Now they'll actually just say, oh, no, I mean, Comey was a jerk. Four years of just whining and eh, all this stuff about how James Comey was this great public servant and how could Trump be so awful to him and all this other. It's just garbage, folks. They're lying to you. CNN, I mean, you go you can go back and look at what people uh, CNN's particularly egregious in this. I mean, they've lost their minds. I, I, I know people over at CNN. I could tell you. Uh, you know, they'll they'll behind closed doors. They'll be like, I mean, CNN has lost its mind. It's very per- the Zucker Trump thing is real. It's very personal. And and that and, and he controls that organization with an iron fist. And it's it is an anti Trump pack. It's not a news organization anymore. It, it might as well. CNN is the Lincoln Project with, you know, more hairspray. That's what it is. And and obviously they're they're libs openly in like the Lincoln Project where they're just secret libs. But you watch the way that Yates is is talking about all this stuff. And, and I can't help but say that I saw all this coming. That they just needed to use that. It was it was use the narrative as long as it's effective. And by the time everyone finds out, because the information will come forward, despite all their efforts to suppress it, that the dossier was a joke. That Carter Page never should have been surveilled. That all this stuff that was done by the FBI was done in bad faith. They were they're just claiming now that they were too stupid to see all the giant holes in their theories that this guy, Christopher Steele, who's not the second coming of James Bond, like we were led to believe this guy is a, a fraud, a clown, a public drunk. All of that 
we find out and they're like, well, you know, but it was useful while it was useful. And it's too late now. What are you going to do about it? That's really, you see it again. That's what the Democrats do. Okay, so we lied. We were wrong. Look at this. Look at what happened. That's why that, that moment you'll remember years ago when Mitt Romney ran against Barack Obama. And as Mitt Romney, don't even get me started. Don't even get me started, folks. Be here all day. Mitt, you quit. You quit being a Republican. It's a very, very sad thing. If you ever really were one, very sad thing to watch. It's all a bit personal for these guys. These guys are all egomaniacs. They'll abandon their principles and their politics on, on, personal, on personal whim. Uh, that's what you've seen clearly with Romney, among many, many others. But you remember when uh, Harry Reid said that Mitt Romney hadn't paid taxes in 10 years? And he said on the floor of the Senate, so you can say anything there and you can't be sued. And uh, it was a lie. And when someone pointed that out, that it was just a lie, what Harry had said, he's like, yeah, did he win? That is the Democrat mentality on all of this stuff. That has been the mentality on Russia collusion all along. Okay, yeah, we lied, but didn't you have to have Trump on defense, off balance? I mean, Trump presided over three of the best years in America in my lifetime. The first three years of the Trump presidency were three of the best years in this country as long as I've been alive. No major wars, no major terrorist attacks, booming economy. I mean, the media finally getting what it deserves with a president who's telling them to just, you know, stop being a bunch of jerks and shut up. (sighs) But they were able to use this Russia collusion nonsense as a weapon against the president, and they were able to do it for a long time, and that's what mattered to them. That That was the whole point of it to get away with it and they did get away there's not this is why i've said you know i I talked to my friend dr sebastian gork on his show yesterday i said that if i'm by the way jesse kelly still owes me a stake i'm coming to collect jesse kelly we had a bet over nancy pelosi you guys remember that was earlier this year jesse kelly's a great man but he owes me a stake damn it when the quarantine's over um but i bet gorka a stake and i and i it was what i've already said to you there's not going to be any major uh, major prosecution, major arrests um, made, you know, any, any major indictment brought uh, based on what has gone on here, based on the Durham probe. I just don't see it. Ha- if I'm wrong, you know, I'll come in and say, hey, guys, I was wrong. I'm sorry. But there's not going to be, in my opinion, a major indictment because we just have all we've all gotten so used to the Democrat abuse that we're on un- we're unwilling to use the same sort of winning at all cost mentality and even enforcing the law at 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 it at at its uh, actual written level right the way that it's supposed to be enforced we won't do it you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast I relied upon the FBI as the fact finders here and the lawyers in the National Security Division to vet the accuracy of, of the FISA application. And All of them hated Trump, right? No, Senator, they did not hate Trump. Well, if I may. And, and I have to say, I have to speak up here for the career men and women of the Department of Justice. You know, there were. Oh, I'm not talking about all the career men and women. I think you and your colleagues have, have tarnished the reputation of the FBI. 
She relied on the FBI. And you see, everybody was relying on, relying on somebody else to do the fact-checking, to do the real investigation. To the, but they were happy to run Pfizer warrants on people and, and play all of these games. It, it is the most appalling political scandal of my lifetime. Right? And there is unlikely to be any real accountability for it, as I've told you. Because they'll just say, oh, no, we were that was somebody else's job. This is the problem. Whenever you're dealing with a bureaucracy, it's always someone else's job. Someone else was always responsible. No one's really in the chain of command in a way where they're going to have to fall on their sword, so to speak. It's just not going to happen. And that's what I think you're going to see here. We'll find out that there were all of these very convenient. It's the same way that libs can think that journalism is not just a an enclave of Democrat activism. We can say to them, hold on a second, you've got 100 stories and 99 of the 100 stories for your news organization or, or 100 of 100 news stories for your, new, quote, news organization are anti-Trump. And you're going to tell us you're not biased? And they'd say, yeah, that's just how it went. No bias there. You know, I know it's only negative stories about Trump from our news organization, but, you know, that, that, those, that's what the facts that's what the facts led us to. All only negative stories, no good stories. And they'll say that to you. They'll say, how do I how do I have an exchange of ideas with a person who is this incapable of dealing with things in a rational, factual way? Like it's not possible as a matter of probability that you're only writing negative stories about Trump because those are just the only stories that your news organization uh, news organization could come up with. It's certainly possible if the purpose of your news organization is to trash Trump and tear him down. Yeah, then it's going to be, you know, 100 out of 100. And you have the same thing here with the FBI. It's not possible that at all of these different stages, whether we're talking about Papadopoulos or Carter Page and the FISA warrant and Crossfire Hurricane and sending somebody after uh, National Security Advisor Flynn and Comey going rogue and Comey leaking documents to try to get even with Trump and get a special counsel started. It's not possible that all of these things are happening in the bureaucracy of the FBI and the DOJ that are all negative for Trump. And there wasn't actually a mentality and ideology of anti-Trump bias pushing this. It's not possible. No, no one ever stopped to think you're talking about the most. This isn't just some FBI investigation, right? This isn't a couple of guys, you know, named Tony and Billy running numbers in the back room of a grocery store somewhere. And the FBI is looking at them for a RICO case like this is the biggest, most important politically sensitive investigation in decades. And they just it's just a comedy of of errors, not funny comedy, but. It's just endless clownishness, a dossier that was paid for by the DNC that they didn't tell the court was paid for by the DNC that was full of lies, uh, faking information about Carter Page, saying that he was working against the U.S. government when he was working for the U.S. government, pretending that he could be some kind of a Russian go-between spy, that he was a traitor. They pretended Carter Page, FBI agents pretended, knowing that it wasn't true, that Carter Page was a traitor. They act like Papadopoulos was some bad. Papadopoulos didn't do anything wrong. Nothing. He did nothing wrong. 
He got scared when he was having the Mueller team trying to ruin his life, and he lied about an email that didn't make any difference. So they sent him to prison for 14 days or whatever, 10 days. But in terms of Russia collusion, he didn't do anything wrong. Nothing. So yeah, I heard a rumor. A lot of people were hearing rumors, but a lot of things. That's it. And yet, they want you, the, the, the Sally Yates of the world want you to believe that all the unmasking, all the, the, the belief that the dossier was real, the laundering the dossier through the intelligence community and with the, with the compliant media and the back and forth between the two and Bruce Orr and Nellie Orr working, you know, she's working for Fusion on behalf of the DNC, Bruce Orr's at DOJ, all these things. We're to believe that it was just coincidence that these things all lined up and were orchestrated in such a way that it was damaging for Donald Trump, trying to ruin him and people around him. You're supposed to believe that. As if we are all that blanking stupid, right? But that's, that is the Sally Yates argument. Oh, it was, you know, we did this, everything we had to do, and I just, you know, I believe the FBI was going to do No. No, that is unacceptable. That is um, completely and utterly bereft of believability. Sally Yates is a Democrat partisan. We all know this. She had her whole, oh, I'm going to stand up and I'm not going to do my job. I'm not going to listen to Trump. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to show him. Uh, okay. And she got that, what was it, the letter from Weissman? I'm so proud of you. Weissman, Mueller, Yates, you know, they're all, there's so much commingling of the deep state here. There's so much collusion behind the scenes with all of them. Weissman is head, headlining or was going to until they realized how bad the optics were. The guy running the totally neutral, unbiased probe wasn't Mueller. We all know that. Mueller was like Biden. Hey, what am I doing? I don't know where I am. Bring me a sippy cup. Uh, Weissman is, is, is a clear Democrat partisan, a vicious Democrat partisan who is, is uh, thinking about how he's going to raise money for Biden. He was the unbiased DOJ veteran that was going to come in here and get us to the truth. Set out 10 possible counts of, wouldn't call it, wouldn't say which one was actually criminal, but set out 10 possible counts of criminality as a smear, a smear from the Mueller report. It's just all politics, folks. It's all, we, we've seen it now. And this is my problem. This is my problem. I, I think that we, we already know what happened. Let's not let them gaslight us. You know, I, I understand that Durham is getting to more facts and maybe, and God willing, we'll find this out. Durham's got him. Maybe he's really got them on something. Maybe he finds that smoking gun email or text or whatever where they can't even hide anymore. I certainly hope that's the case. But if I'm a betting man, and I've already told you I owe Dr. G a stake if I'm wrong on this one, I, I think that we're going to find that everything that, that I have been telling you for four years, everything that the people defending Trump against this Russia collusion insanity for four years have said was true and correct, and his opponents, Trump's opponents, were lying about all of this. And whether it was Adam Schiff or Swalwell or Pelosi or Schumer or all these pundits at the different lib anti-Trump networks, they just lied their faces off. And you know what's really frustrating? Once all the truth comes out, you know what they're going to say? Yeah, but... 
Did he win this November? That's the only question that really matters, folks. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. White people, there are white people who are not as powerful as the system of white people, the caste system that's been put in place, but they still, no matter where they are on the rung or the ladder of success, they still have their whiteness. Oh, they still have their whiteness. That's billionaire black celebrity Oprah letting people know in eastern Kentucky, the poorest per capita county uh, counties in the United States, letting people know who are uh, living in a impoverished trailer park somewhere without a mom or without a dad and just trying to get by. At least they've got their whiteness. Yeah, that's right. Deal with it. Wow. This is pervasive, though, now. Let's, let's talk about this, shall we? Let's, let's have a discussion about what this really does, this, this mentality, what it does to our society. Um, uh, first of all, if we have, she called it a caste system. If we have a racial caste system in this country, uh, I'm going to need to know why is it that that caste system has uh, also elevated the system must have done it right because it's the system it's not individual decisions played out collectively among millions and millions of people it's the system why has the system of white privilege elevated asian americans to have a higher per capita income than uh white americans do why is it the asian community why is it in fact numerous non-white immigrant communities have more substantial wealth, higher levels of education achievement and higher quality of life than white people in this country. I, I, I just I would like the libs to try and answer this for me. I would I would like them to explain this. I would also like to know where, where is where is the, the overt discrimination in the law against, say, the, the Latino community where they're always they will often talk of the black and brown community. This is in, in liberal parlance. And they act like somebody who is uh, from, let's say, rural Honduras is in a very similar situation to, say, somebody who comes from, oh, I don't know, Puerto Rico or Brazil. And you'd say um, these are people with very different cultural and economic backgrounds. You know, Puerto Ricans are Americans. They're U.S. passport holders. But somehow they're grouped together with uh, with impoverished Hondurans in the liberal conception their categorizations are wrong and sloppy. Whiteness, for example. Okay, let's talk about this concept of whiteness for a minute. Uh, someone who is, let's say, you know, sixth generation American, uh, born here, who is white, has the same has the same setup and the same situation, the same privilege. You could call it as an, a recent Albanian immigrant who came here not speaking any English without a penny in his pocket from a very different culture? White. Albanians are white. Same? Is that the same? I, I just want to, since we're talking about it, that, that's the same. What exactly are the outer limits of white privilege, or where is it? No, and what does white privilege get you? I, I think a lot of people sit around in the country right now and say, what has my white privilege got me? Am I gonna, I'm going to hear more stories about how some people are 
uh, you know, anecdotal stories about it. some people feel like they're followed when they're in a store. I've been followed when I'm in a store. I was told very rudely once to pump somebody's gas because I had a hat pulled down over my head and he assumed that I was an employee. I guess I could have gone on for months and months afterwards upset. Uh, why would somebody think that I was an employee there? But stuff like that just sort of happens. But people can either hold on to it or they can say that stuff happens. Human beings are imperfect and there's not some system that is out to get me. In fact, we have a system that makes distinctions by race in favor of black, Latino and Native American people in America. That is a fact. That is legal reality. It's true in affirmative, with affirmative action. It's true in hiring. It's true in corporate America. And yet we're still always told that the system holds people down. We will have LeBron James. We'll have Oprah Winfrey. We'll have people who are fabulously wealthy, influential, leading lives that 99.9999% of people could never even dream of. And there will be complaints about how hard the system is. Wow. Okay. My friends, uh, this is very divisive. It's very destructive. The sloppy categorizations, the, the uh, claims that are made that some people just... Some people have, have it easy. I mean, what is that supposed to say? What, does white privilege mean that a white person is not really capable of earning what he or she has? That it has been given to him? There are more poor white people in America than there are anybody else. So what, what, did, what did their white privilege get them? And I know this is where they would say, oh, it's white fragility. See, you're, you're rejecting this concept. No. Judging people by skin color, treating them differently, thinking that they are different because of skin color is racist. It is immoral. It is wrong. That is true, irrespective of whether the distinction is supposed to help some that you think are historically oppressed and hurt others that you think are historically advantaged. It's wrong. It's immoral. It rests on moral fallacies and a lack of a real willingness to have a conversation about what's true and what's not in America today. We have a system that we're told that eleva elevates, elevates white people and yet we ask, in, in what way are white people elevated through the system? And you get a lot of talk about statistics and everything else. Well, I can tell you this. Looking at numbers in the aggregate and making determinations that there is a system that created that is not what we do with a lot of other things. Murder is overwhelmingly a male institution. Guys kill people. Women very, very rarely, you look at violent crime, women very, very rarely kill people. Do we have a system that unfairly targets men? Do we have a, uh, I always forget the word, misogyny is hatred of women, uh, misandry, right? Misandry, hatred of men. Do we have a, I don't even know how you say this, a misandriotic system or something? Do we have a system that hates men? That's unfairly targeting men for for the violent crimes they commit or do we have men who just commit more violent crimes than women do and maybe there's a lot of complicated sociological and you know historical reasons you could talk about this but is it the system are, are we manufacturing that men create uh, or that men cause more violent crime than women do i don't think i don't think anybody yet makes that argument although i don't know give it time give it time there has been a transition, friends, and, and there is a fascinating piece 
uh, by Zach Goldberg in Tablet Magazine, how the media led the great racial awakening. And what he does is he just goes and looks at the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, and then the Wall Street Journal almost as a control group in all of this to see that starting right around uh, right around 2011, right around the second uh, Obama term, you had a, an enormous surge in the usage of terms like racism in the media. All of a sudden, you're hearing a lot more about and it's clear. You go from uh, you go for, from a an increase of 700 percent. So seven times as often in the media, the New York Times, the Washington Post use the words racism. A thousand percent more um, in some cases, depending on the terms you're looking at. I mean, you're looking at seven to ten X increase in the usage of terms meant to describe racism in America. Um, And then you start seeing and I've talked to you about this before this article came out. And a huge spike in usage of the term white supremacy, white supremacy was known in America until 10 years ago. And that's about how long it takes for the for the wokeness, for the left to manufacture and and spread a narrative that really seeps into the consciousness and becomes powerful. Uh, White supremacy was known 10 years ago uh, as something that would be, you know, a person with Nazi, uh, you know, a swastika tattoo on their forehead and says that white people are better than other people and, and and horrible racist garbage. That was what white supremacy was. You know, they wore boots and shaved heads and they would march sometimes with Nazi swastika stuff and, and I mean, Nazi flags, swastikas, all the rest. That's what white supremacy was. We all knew that. There was that movie, American History X, about white supremacists that we'd see them. Now white supremacy is not enough diversity on a corporate board. That's considered, that is used, uh, they use the term white supremacy for that. So they've expanded, and that's intentional. You see an enormous spike starting 10 years ago in media usage of the term white supremacy. And big surprise, folks, guess what? Around the same time, you start to have a a large increase among white liberals, particularly, in their perception of how racist America is. The journals of, you know, the, the biggest opinion makers in liberal media convinced and and there was a clear campaign to do it that the data speaks for itself all of a sudden you're seeing all these terms appear that hadn't appeared before came from came from academia came from the college campuses it had started there it's really a reboot of critical race theory which has been around since the 60s 70s herbert marcuse some say the the uh, the father of critical race theory and this This happened, and you can see the perception, the trend changing as a result of it. And the way that the media covers race and racial issues all of a sudden shifts dramatically. Uh, This was intentional. This was intentional. And I really recommend this piece about the great racial awakening, uh, because you see that this was manufactured, and it was based on nothing other than the propagandistic desire of the media. They wanted to convince people that there was more racism, so that's what they did.
because racism gets clicks and racism is a narrative that makes the white liberals who are pushing it constantly feel better about themselves. And anybody who sees what's really going on um, in these protests across the country understands that you have crazy white liberals who are the, they're the dominant force in the protests. In the BLM protest, it's crazy white liberals. They're the ones who are screaming at cops. This piece also has New York Times' latent association between racism and white just takes off like a rocket ship in 2011. It, it all started right around 2011, 2012. Obama's second term, you have an enormous uh, increase in uses of terms like racial hierarchy, white privilege, whiteness, white supremacy. It, it, it all just it couldn't be any more clear when you plot it and look at it on a graph. This was intentional. The country didn't change all of a sudden, didn't get much more racist. If anything, while we had our first black president who was universally celebrated in the media, pretty much. I mean, there are a few people who are critics on the right, but I mean, you know, 95 percent of journalists loved Obama. And he's, you know, ultra influential, wealthy guy, the most powerful political brand in the Democrat Party to this day. And yet there was supposed to be some huge surge of racism in his second term that the media is reflecting. I, I, you know, you look for what was the what was the trigger? What was the incident that led to this? And yeah, all of a sudden you're hearing a lot about white supremacy. You're hearing a lot about these things, reading a lot about these things in the media. And it, there's just there's a direct correlation between the perception and the usage of these terms. Also, another interesting uh, note that I think should get a lot more attention. And it's that then when they look into the data, this is on the conversation dot com, when they look into the data on diverse with diversity training, diversity training often backfires. It, it is worse to have diversity training in term if you really believe in diversity than to have no diversity training at all, because uh, some people just reject it entirely and become even more uh, annoyed by this. They reject these theories of white fragility and all the rest of it. But even people who don't reject it here, here's what it says. Disappointing results and unintended consequences. This is from the conversation dot com. And this is about diversity training in terms of reducing bias and promoting equal opportunity. Diversity training has failed spectacularly, according to the expert assessment of sociologists Frank Dobbin and Alexandra Kalev. When Dobbin and Kalev evaluated the impact of diversity training at more than 800 companies over three decades, they found that the positive effects are short lived and that compulsory training generates resistance and resentment. A company is better off doing nothing than mandatory diversity training, Caleb said. Some of the most popular training approaches are of dubious value. They, there is evidence, for example, that introducing people to the most commonly used readings about white privilege can reduce sympathy for poor whites. Oh, you mean like Oprah saying even poor white people have their white privilege? Hmm. Especially among social liberals. Peace goes on. There's also evidence that emphasizing cultural differences across racial groups can lead to an increased belief in fundamental biological differences among races. This means that well-intentioned efforts to celebrate diversity may, in fact, reinforce racial stereotyping. 
end quote. Ah, so you see, this is where even the well-intentioned libs with all the diversity training are like, oh, this group of people, we're going to be so, we're going to be so good, we're going to give them more, we're going to expect less from them, and we're going to hire them, we're going to bring them in, because the libs think, this is what the sociological research shows, they need the help. Without it, they couldn't get the job. Ah, that sounds pretty racist to me, folks. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And since we're talking about attitudes and and uh, race and there's such a conversation going on right now about about policing in this country, I, I thought it would be worth you hearing this because uh, you you won't see it in the mainstream media. According to Gallup polling, the na- the narrative you hear in the mainstream media is that defund cops is what the black community wants, meaning the average black American is on board with this. That's what you get from the frauds at CNN, the lunatics on the left in the left wing media. But most black Americans, according to Gallup, probably the most respected polling agency that there is, 61 percent, 61 percent of black Americans want the police presence in America to remain the same. 67 percent of all U.S. adults want the police presence to remain the same means not defund cops. 71 percent of white Americans want the police presence to remain the same. Black Americans Twenty uh, percent of black Americans would like um, would like the police to spend more time in their area. Nineteen percent would like them to spend less time in their area. So one in five black Americans want less police presence. Eighty percent want either more or the same. Do you ever get that sense from the media? No, because they're really still overwhelmingly controlled by and comprised of white libs who don't care about the black community. They care about feeling like they care about the black community. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for roll call. Roll call time, everybody. Um, you know, producer Mark, I started watching this new Netflix, like Mafia, New York versus the Mafia show. Have you seen it yet? I have not. That sounds interesting, though. Pretty good. Pretty good, actually. I, I kind of turned it on as a, you know, when you throw something on, you're cleaning up and you're like, I don't really want to watch this, yes. but I want to kind of half watch it. I was a half watcher. And then I was like. No, this is actually pretty interesting. Is it you know, scripted really or is it like a documentary? No, it's like a doc. It's like a documentary of the early '80s New York bringing down the mob. Giuliani makes appearances in it. Yeah, that's oh. really how he built his career. Giuliani was known as the uh, U.S. attorney who destroyed the mob. Yeah, and so. he cleaned up New York City as the mayor. Everyone knows that. Well, of course, but I'm saying, but to, to become the mayor first as U.S. attorney, he did, he took he oh, took yes. down the mob. And then he became, uh, you know, then he became the mayor of New York. But it's it's incredible. The mob had so much uh, influence and power. 
the control of the ports, control of meatpacking, control of the fish market. I mean, it's and, and they could threaten these businesses to give them the payoff. They would just shut the whole thing down. All the workers wouldn't show up. You think they still don't? In some businesses, I think there's still some control. Hmm. I got to say, I don't really know what the status of the mob is right now. I, I know more about uh, some of the Russian mob stuff because I work with some anti-Russian mob NYPD guys. And they say the Russian mob is ruthless in Russia. In the U.S., they say it's more they're just they're just whatever they can do to make money. If they can do uh, like Medicare fraud, they love that. Like if they can just steal from the government, that's their favorite thing to do. But they're also willing to just engage in shocking violence, particularly in the home country, which and the Russian mob also involves all the former Stan countries. So, you know. There are Russian mobsters in Uzbekistan. We'll call them Russian mafia, even though they're not Russian, in Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, uh, Armenia. The Armenians will often get grouped in as being Russian mob. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, And I I think they call it the Brotherhood, and they have all these, like, different names for this stuff. But, Producer Mark, I think you would like this Netflix show. I'm just telling you. Yeah, I might watch it. Yeah, Probably they won't. go into the Bonanno crime family, the Gambino, Genovese, um, you know, a bunch, bunch of other ones. So I can't, I'm trying to see if I can name it. Bonanno, Genovese, Gambino, uh, Colombo. Did I get to five? I'm trying to see if I can do all five off the top of my head. I'm missing one, I think. Yeah, right. you are. I can't think of it, though. I know. I feel like Gambino became the most famous because of John Gotti. So anyway. Oh. Producer Nick's weighing Lucchese, Lucchese. Yes, yes, yes. That that's the one. I feel like they didn't have the best PR. I feel like of the crime families, they're the least known. You know. Uh, somehow the, I don't think Bonanos crime families have PR people. What's up? I don't think crime families have PR people. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like they had the like they're the least. There's the least lore about the Lucchese out there. You get obviously Gambino, super big. Bonanno, super well known. Uh, Genove- Genovese, I, I, I know stuff about that, about some of their captains. Um, anyway, the mobs. And it was a good mob show. I'm just telling I'm looking for good shows these days because, you know, New York is still frozen in place. You can't really do anything here. So I, I reckon Bosch and this Netflix show are my late night. They're my late night joy. Right? I, I'm all into Big Brother's back. I don't know. Have you ever watched Big Brother? No. What's that? It's uh, the show on CBS. It's been around for 20 years now. Where they lock 15 people into a house for three months. I can tell you, a long time ago, I went on a date with a woman who I think won one of the big brothers. Really? Yes. Oh, I'm a fanboy of that show. Really? You got to talk about it. I've watched every season. And I can't even remember her name, but I do remember it came up on a date and I was like, what is this show? And she explained it to me, and I was like, that sounds crazy. How have you never heard of it before? It's like the biggest reality show almost ever. I've heard of it. I've never watched it. Okay. I've very no it, idea what it is. It's what mindless it, and interesting. Huh. Yeah. Speaking of which, I got to get the I got to get the PS4 going a lot. Can you play Fortnite on a computer or only on PlayStation? Uh, you can play on a computer. I would say probably with a regular laptop, it's not going to be as good. Like, there are people who have, like, serious gaming laptops, and it would probably be much better on the console. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I don't have a desktop computer anymore. I have it in a long time, but maybe it's time to get one. All right, let's get to some roll call here. John, hey, Buck. What do we get? Uh, wait. Hey, Buck, on mail-in ballots, there's a saying when a person doesn't give their best, they mailed it in. 
Well, it came from somewhere, right? In person is the only way to keep it fair. Less technology is better and harder to cheat. John, I think you're right. And I think that the people that are pushing for this on the left don't care that you're right because they view this as um, a way to get their way. So that's what I see happening here. That's my that's my belief. All righty. Um, there's going to be mail-in balloting for a bunch of states. I don't think it's it's not going to be universal, but there will be some of it. Sarah. Hey, Buck. Greetings from the socialist state of Washington. You ever watch the American president with Michael Douglas and Michael J. Fox? One of my favorite lines seems eerily fitting for today. Michael J. Fox says people want leadership, Mr. President, and in the absence of genuine leadership, they'll listen to anyone who steps up to the microphone. They want leadership. They're so thirsty for it. They'll crawl through the desert toward Mirage. When they discover there's no water, they'll drink the sand. And the president, Michael Douglas, responds, Lewis, we've had presidents who were beloved who couldn't find a coherent sentence with two hands and a flashlight. People don't drink the sand because they're thirsty. They drink the sand because they don't know the difference. Wow. Are we there today or what? Keep up the good work, you two. Shields high. It's a kind of a somewhat cynical view of politics. But uh, yeah, I, I remember the American president. I think that's the one with Annette Benning where like the big line is she's like you've lost more than my respect mr president you've lost my vote you know she's like an environmentalist activist i will tell you this i have gone back and watched uh some of the west wing a show i never really i've maybe had seen two episodes of it in total before and i was kind of curious it's a fascinating time warp into the mentality of 90s libs you go back and you watch it and it's all about like gun control and hate crime legislation and, you know, a woman's right to choose. And it's all these really, oh, my God, all this sort of sanctimonious crap around that. But so much of it is if we can just get gun control, we'll save so many lives. You're like, what? Doesn't work. Never has worked. Didn't work then. Doesn't work now. But oh, that's that. There's so much smug liberalism in it. But it's a little bit more. It, it, it's it's less insane than it is now i will say that because it was it was so transparently about feel-goodism and now the the libs are less obsessed with their own feel-goodism as they are the feel-goodism of destroying you <laughs> so it's changed a little bit it, it was is, also it uh pre 9 11 so the world completely changed wouldn't we love to talk about that stuff again oh yeah yeah, yeah that's true too it is it was wait was it pre 9 11 the west wing yeah wasn't it in the 90s um, I think you're right. I think it was Clinton administration. When did the West Wing start? Do a quick uh, Google on that while I'm going through this. Producer Nick says the West Wing is cheesy 90s Democrat fan fiction. It's absolutely true. It started pre-9-11, so it started in 99 and there ended in 06. That's right. That's right. So it started pre-9-11, but it definitely continued in because it was really the alternative to the Bush presidency for a lot of people for a number of years. But it is so corny. And Aaron Sorkin is just, it's just so... Uh, transparent that they're creating this world where, like, the liberal ideas always win. Hmm, what a shock. Oh, gosh, now all the good people are the liberals. And the liberals are all, like, econ Nobel Prize winners who also know how to throw a baseball and just want to make some delicious chili, you know? Oh, God. It's fun to go back and watch it because you're like, is this how libs really see themselves? They're a bunch of, uh, a bunch of lunatics. Anyway. Uh, what were they saying? Oh, yeah, but the American president, I also remember that one because that was where they had the whole 
Bill Clinton-like thing about how Michael Douglas has to call for an airstrike and he's like practically crying when he's thinking about how there's going to be some guy who works as a night janitor who's going to get blown up in the night strike or something. And it's all, all Clinton, Clinton-esque uh, cleanup stuff. Kyle, Buck, when I was listening to Biden harangue that interviewer talking about taking when Oh, sorry, I got to restart this. one. When I was listening to Biden harangue that interviewer about taking a test beforehand to see if they were junkie on coke, I couldn't help but appreciate the irony of his own son being uh, kicked out of the Navy for a dr- failing a drug test for cocaine. The same son who made money off his dad's name in Ukraine and China. Good Lord. I really hope Trump is able to capitalize on this in the debates. Kyle, you know, where's Hunter sometimes trends on Twitter, but they're not going to care about that. You know, you're seeing also, and I'll talk more about this tomorrow, the weaponization of prosecutors offices once again against Trump. As I told you this, I did, you know, I've been telling you this would happen. You've got the uh, Cyrus Vance, the district attorney for New York, bringing an investigation against the Trump organization, criminal investigation for fraud. Uh, and you've got the New York state attorney general, calling for the disbanding of the NRA because of mismanagement of funds. Oh, yeah, that's not politically convenient timing, right? Sure, sure. Libs are ruthless, friends. Just accept it now. Know this is what you're up against. Michael writes, Shields High. Yeah, watching that wedding in Beirut, the wedding photos, is a heart stopper. And judging from what I saw, they didn't get their hazmats right, and I can imagine it now. Put that dangerous stuff with the other dangerous stuff. Not realize the properties of either. It sure shows very well just how fast one's life can change. Yeah, and how fast one can lose one's life, Michael. Big, biggest, craziest explosion I've ever seen on video. That wasn't nuclear, you know, historical footage, but I've never seen anything like that before. Almost 3,000 3, tons, not pounds. 3,000 tons. It would be like loading up 3,000 cars with ammonium nitrate and blowing them all at the same time, right? You fill three, three cars up with their, you know, their own weight in ammonium nitrate, but that, uh, you know, that, that amount of ammonium nitrate and blowing it all at once. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Horrible for the people of Beirut. Um, Hopefully uh, they'll be able to get them the aid and, and uh, assistance that's needed to prevent this from becoming a more of a full-on humanitarian catastrophe than it already is. All right, next up here, Jay. Hey, Producer Mark. Oh, look at this. Jay's just writing to Producer Mark now. I first found the show on 1100 KNZZ in Grand Junction, Colorado, when your show replaced Michael Savage. Oh, well, that's nice. Now I listen to the podcast. Love the show. I think you're just the best. And that assistant of yours, Buck, is... Pre- <laughs> Is pretty entertaining, too. Just kidding, Buck. You're the best. I heard you start talking about Kindergarten Cop and how it got canceled. I was expecting the reason to be because of the scene when the little boy says, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. I thought that would have triggered the libs long ago. Keep it up. Shields high. Well, that is very, uh, very gender, heter- gender, gender normative, I guess you'd say. And that, that's, that, that's erasing trans lives when that little kid says that in the movie, right? So there's a lot of reason for people to criticize this, I'm sure, now that you bring it up. Probably will get canceled. Probably will get canceled for that, too. Whatever you think is the too extreme for the libs to take it position now, give it time, they'll take it, right? Whatever 
the slippery slope shows you they're going toward, we're going there. You got to know that about the libs. Robert, hey, Buck, Portland not only has lost control, they've lost their constituents' confidence to lead. Portland and Seattle are losing billions of dollars as the lawlessness continues. Defunding the police will only further the decline as businesses and residents leave for a safer state. Insurance companies will be forced to decline the writing of policies of residential homes and businesses due to lack of security in the area. A total economic collapse will be imminent if this madness continues. That being said, people vote with their common sense as well as their wallets. So voting Democrat is a recipe for bankruptcy for most Americans. Um, Yeah, that's right. There's a spiral, a downward spiral that Democrats put us all on when they do things like defund cops or just even make cops the bad guys. What then happens is we we turn around and we see the uh, businesses leaving a community because they don't want to get robbed or ransacked by by looters and businesses don't want to go in people residences also people uh, residential real estate changes people don't want to live in high crime areas and so what you have are the people with capital and and jobs leave and who's left behind people who are more dependent on the state people who have less capital people who are more likely um to uh be stuck and that's what ends up happening. And it's terrible for everybody. And it's how cities die. And Democrats are, are, are right now flirting with policies that can actually destroy cities. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. Uh, remember, you can send me messages for roll call at Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com for the email BuckSexton.com is uh, getting a facelift as well. We're doing more and more stuff on the site, so please check in there. And producer Mark, you got to check uh, some voicemails out for tomorrow. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Are you excited? Is this what you, do you and Mrs. Mark sit and, you know, uh, have, have, a, have a burrito or something and listen to the voicemails? Oh, yes, of course. It's the highlight of my day. I actually forgot it was Thursday, so thank you for ruining my day. Appreciate yep. it. Yep, yep, yep. There you go, buddy. He loves it, folks. Don't listen to him. He loves it. He's it's his favorite part of the whole week is when he sits and listens to 100 voicemails. All right. Next up here, uh, we'll go to the Instagram. You can also send me messages there. Uh, next up, we have Teal, who writes great segment on Tucker Carlson last night. Teal, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Jeff writes in i've got a new book oh jeff i gotta check that one out offline and see what we're talking about here uh let's see next up oh ivan writes in there's a point where it stops being on them and it's on us we are accepting the lawlessness the lockdowns the bankruptcies the school closings and the double standards even when we know what these lunatic progressives are doing is insane they are using whatever power they have We are just unhappier by the day, miserable and complaining. Ivan, I'm with you, man. You know, when are we going to fight back? When are we going to say enough is enough? And we got to win. You want justice? Win. That's the truth of American politics right now. If you rely on the system and the good faith of the other side, get ready to eat a lot of stuff you don't want to eat, so to speak. That's the show for today, team. Back tomorrow for a Freestyle Friday. Shields high.